pick up a rock and throw it in front of you. It makes a parabola. The path of its motion is parabolic. That's Galileo's great discovery, right? Well, not really. Galileo, he does claim this, but he doesn't prove it. Even Galileo's own follower, Torricelli, acknowledged this. Uh, the result is more desired than proven, as he says uh, very diplomatically. And the reason why Galileo doesn't prove this result is a revealing one. It is due to a basic physical misunderstanding. The right way to understand parabolic motion of projectiles uh, is to analyze it in terms of two independent components, of course, the inertial motion and the gravitational motion. If we disregard uh, gravity, the rock would keep going along a straight line forever at exactly the same speed. That's the law of inertia. But uh, gravity pulls it down in accordance with the law of fall. So the rock, it drops below the inertial line, by the same distance it would have fallen below its starting point in that amount of time if you had let it fall straight down instead of throwing it. So it is a, a staple fact of elementary physics that the resulting path composed of these two motions has the shape of a parabola. Galileo does not understand the law of inertia, and that's why he fails on this point. If the projectile is fired horizontally, like a ball rolling off a table, then Galileo does indeed prove that it makes a parabola. He proves it the, the right way, the way I just outlined, with, through the composition of inertial and gravitational motion. However, if you throw the rock at some other angle, so not horizontally, then Galileo he doesn't dare to give such an analysis. And this is because he thinks that the law of inertia is maybe not true for those kinds of motions. He thinks if you throw a rock at an upward angle, then maybe the rock it won't have that inertial disposition to keep going in that direction with that speed. Instead, he thinks maybe the motion is going to slow down gradually. It's like a ball struggling to roll up a hill or an inclined plane. So, uh, Galileo, uh, he doesn't assert uh, neither this wrong form of inertia nor the right one. Uh, he equivocates, never takes a stand, because he isn't sure. And this is why he cannot give a correct proof of the theorem of parabolic motion, even though such a proof was very much within his reach. In fact, uh, Cavalieri, who was a better mathematician, had already published this proof, the correct analysis of parabolic motion. Uh, that Cavalieri had already published that before Galileo wrote uh, his famous book. So it's not that this stuff was beyond the reach of the mathematical and scientific methods of the time by any means. On the contrary, it was already explicitly spelled out completely and correctly in a published book that Galileo was well aware of. And still, Galileo got it wrong in his famous work. He's just not a very good physicist. Okay, so that's the big picture then on parabolic motion. So I would like to go into more detail on these things. First, we need to take a step back and look at inertia generally. So let me quote to you Newton's law of inertia. Everybody perseveres in its state of being at rest or of moving uniformly straight forward, except insofar as it is compelled to change its state by forces impressed. That's uh, for Newton's Great Principia, 1687. Law 1 of that work, a cornerstone of the whole thing. In Galileo, there's nothing like that. Even the most ardent Galileo admirers admit this. Here is uh, Stillman Drake, Galileo's greatest uh, defender. Even he, I quote him, 
freely grant that Galileo formulated only a restricted law of inertia and that he neglected to state explicitly the general inertial principle that everybody knows today, the famous Newtonian one. And that was instead correctly formulated two years after Galileo's death by Pierre Gassendi and René Descartes. Oh, that's the most charitable interpretation. That's the view of Galileo's most committed supporters. And it's rather too kind, in my opinion. Trying to attribute to Galileo some kind of restricted law of inertia, it's a very dubious business. Stilman Drake tried to do so. And uh, here's what he says. In my opinion, the essential core of the inertial concept lies in the idea of a body's indifference to motion or to rest and its continuance in the state uh, once given. This idea is, to the best of my knowledge, original with Galileo. That's the quote from Stilman Drake. You could certainly argue that that's not really inertia at all, because it doesn't involve the straightness of the direction of the motion, nor does it explicitly say that the motion keeps going at a perpetual uniform speed. It only focuses on indifference of motion versus rest and the preservation of the state of motion. So that's the essential core of the inertial concept then, according to Galileo's defenders. And that's very convenient. Galileo got uh, half of the properties of inertia right and half wrong. So it's his supporters that try to spin it and say that those parts he did get right are the essential core, you see. And the other stuff is just secondary anyway, so it doesn't really matter that Galileo was wrong about all of those things. And uh, yeah, sure enough, if you're allowed to pick and choose like that, then uh, which half of inertia you think is important, then you can find some evidence for that part in Galileo. So for example, Galileo says quite correctly, no one could say why a thing once set in motion should stop anywhere, for why should it stop here rather than there, so that the thing will either be at rest or must be moved ad infinitum unless something more powerful gets in its way. So yeah, sure enough, there you have the indifference of motion versus rest, preservation of the state of motion, this alleged uh, core of the inertial concept. Uh, How much credit do you think Galileo deserves for this, for getting half of inertia right, so to speak? Uh, Maybe you think that was the difficult step, the conceptual revolution, and then it was easy for Newton and others to just fill in the details by continuing what Galileo started. Well, actually, I tricked you. The quote I just read is not from Galileo at all. Uh, I lied. The quote is from Aristotle. It's from Aristotle's Physics, written 2,000 years before Galileo. So if you think that's the essential core of the inertial concept, then Aristotle was the pioneering near-Newtonian who conceived it rather than Galileo. Um, This claim occurs in Aristotle in a rather isolated way. It didn't really form part of a sustained and coherent uh, physical treatment of, of motion comparable to how we use inertia today, of course. Aristotle, as usual, is focused on much more philosophical purposes. Uh, you might say, well, th- look at this one-off quote taken out of context. It sounds much more modern than it really is. Uh, indeed. But then again, the same could be said for Aristotle's so-called uh, law of fall that Galileo refuted with so much fanfare. Uh, That, too, is only mentioned in passing very briefly and plays no systematic role in Aristotle's thought. And yet Galileo takes great pride in defeating that incidental remark, and his modern fans, they applaud him greatly for this. So, if you want to dismiss Aristotle's uh, inertia-like statement as insignificant, then by the same logic, we ought to likewise dismiss all of Galileo's uh, exertions to refute his law of fall as completely inconsequential as well.
If you argue that statements such as those of Aristotle, they don't count as scientific principles unless they're systematically applied to explain various natural phenomena and so on, then we would have to conclude that there was no Aristotelian science of mechanics at all. And that, of course, would be a disastrous concession to make for advocates of Galileo's uh, alleged greatness, since so much of Galileo's claim to fame is based on contrasting his view with the so-called Aristotelian science, as we have discussed before. So take your pick. Here are the three options. Option one, Galileo's understanding of inertia was very poor. Or option two, Galileo's understanding of inertia was pretty good and so was Aristotle's. Or option three, Galileo's understanding of inertia was pretty good, but not Aristotle's, because Aristotle's statements, even though they say pretty much what Galileo says, they should be disqualified because they are philosophy rather than science. So, of course, I, of course, advocate the first of these options, throw Galileo under the bus. He and Aristotle were both stupid. Problem solved. If you want to preserve uh, Galileo's reputation, you're in a trickier position. Are you going to admit that Aristotle understood inertia? But then what was Galileo's contribution, and how could it be revolutionary if that kind of stuff was already well understood 2,000 years before? And do you want to say, no, Aristotle didn't really understand this, because uh, his text wasn't meant to be science anyway, well then, what's the value in Galileo spending hundreds of pages on the most important works arguing against Aristotle? So, you tell me how you're going to solve these uh, puzzles. Trying to maintain Galileo's alleged greatness it doesn't add up. You're left having to bend over backwards with these inconsistent rationalizations. What about the rectilinear character of inertia? The thing keeps going straight. Is that uh, in Galileo? Uh, here's a passage that might appear to suggest as much. I quote from Galileo. A projectile rapidly rotated by someone who throws it like a rock in a sling, upon being separated from him, retains an impetus to continue its motion along the straight line touching the circle uh, described by the motion of its projectile at the point of separation. The projectile would continue to move along that line if it were not inclined downward by its own weight. The impressed impetus, I say is undoubtedly in a straight line. That's Galileo. Straight up rectilinear inertia, right? Down and dusted. Uh, no, not so. It's not inertia, it's impetus. That's what Galileo calls it. The projectile has impetus to go straight. What does that mean? What is uh, impetus anyway? Is it the same thing as inertia? Will impetus uh, run out, for example? Is the motion caused by impetus really perpetual and uniform? Uh, Galileo doesn't say, and most likely he didn't believe it was. In many other sources at the time, uh, loss of impetus by projectiles was likened to the diminution of sound in a bell after it's struck, or heat in a kettle after it's removed from the fire, as uh, the Stillman Drake has uh, pointed out to us. And this conception uh, is perfectly compatible, to say the least, with what Galileo writes. In fact, uh, Galileo nowhere asserts the eternal conservation of rectilinear motion, in fact, on the contrary, he explicitly rejects it. Straight motion cannot be naturally perpetual. That's an exact quote from his major work. It is impossible that anything should have by nature the principle of moving in a straight line. Again, a literal quotation right out of Galileo's main work. It's easy to understand, then, why Galileo's defenders are so eager to insist on characterizing the essential core of the inertial concept in a way that does not involve its rectilinear character, since Galileo clearly and explicitly rejected rectilinear inertia. If there's any inertia at all in Galileo, it is 
horizontal rather than rectilinear inertia. Uh, let me give you a quote from, from Galileo, places where he describes this. To some movements, bodies are indifferent, as are heavy bodies to horizontal motion, to which they have neither inclination nor repugnance. And therefore, all external impediments being removed, a heavy body on a spherical surface concentric with the earth will be indifferent to rest or to movement toward any part of the horizon, and it will remain in that state in which it has once been placed, that is, if placed in a state of rest, it will conserve that, and if placed in movement towards the west, for example, it will maintain itself in that movement. Thus a ship, for instance, having once received some impetus through the tranquil sea, would move continually around our globe without ever stopping. That's a quote from Galileo, and here's another one. Motion in a horizontal line which is tilted neither up nor down is circular motion about the center. Once acquired, it will continue perpetually with uniform velocity. That's the second end of the second quote. So like with the sling and the projectile, you can debate, is this really inertia or not? In Newton's mechanics as well, you have, for example, let's say the Earth is a, a big sphere made of ice and you fire a hockey puck along the surface, it would indeed glide forever in a great circle, just like Galileo describes with the ship, even though that's not inertial motion, of course, in Newtonian physics. Uh, so this agreement with the Newtonian mechanics, of course, it only holds if the object is prevented from moving downward, like the puck is by the ice or the ship by the water. So Galileo seems to have had not exactly this in mind, because he seemed to believe that horizontal inertia holds also for objects traveling freely through the air. So that's, of course, not compatible with Newtonian mechanics. Here's an example where Galileo says this. I think it very probable that the stone dropped from the top of the tower will move with a motion composed of the general circular movement and its own straight one. Well, that's Galileo's quote. And once again, it's not entirely clear that this is the circular component is supposed to represent inertia necessarily. It's conceivable that maybe in Galileo's conception, the circular movement itself is not like the force-free default motion but rather a motion somehow caused or contaminated by gravity, kinds of forces or whatever, who knows? Galileo just isn't clear about stuff like that. Newton and Descartes, like the good mathematicians that they are, they state concisely and explicitly what the exact fundamental assumptions of their theory of mechanics are, right at the start of their works. The laws of inertia are crystal clear, and they're specifically announced to be basic principles upon which the entire theory is built. Galileo never comes close to anything of this sort. He uses the casual dialogue format of his books to hide behind ambiguities. One moment he seems to be saying one thing, then, soon thereafter, uh, something else. Like an opportunist who doesn't have a systematically work out theory at all, but rather simply adopts whatever assumptions are most conducive to his goals in any given situation. In any case, let's get back to parabolic motion. Some people have tried to argue that if Galileo never stated the, the law of inertia in its general form, it was implicit in his derivation of the parabolic trajectory of a projectile. That's a quote from Stillman Drake again. It would have been a very good argument indeed if Galileo had treated parabolic trajectories correctly, but he didn't. So the evidence goes in the opposite direction. Galileo's bungled treatment of parabolic motion is actually yet more proof that he did not understand inertia. His restriction of inertia to horizontal motion only 
is in fact clear in his treatment of uh, projectiles. He speaks unequivocally of the horizontal line which the projectile would continue to follow with uniform motion if its weight did not bend it downwards. This is a clear quote that expresses rectilinear inertia perfectly uh, unambiguously, but he does not make the same claim for projectiles fired in non-horizontal directions. He studiously avoids committing himself on this point because he's afraid that uh, maybe it's not true, like we said before. So since he only trusted the horizontal case, Galileo tried to analyze other trajectories in terms of the horizontal case. To this end, he assumed, without justification, that a parabola traced by an object rolling off a table would also be the parabola of an object fired back up again in the, the same direction but backwards. So in other words, he takes the converse of his proposition without proving or explaining it. That judgment is in fact a quote from Descartes, a mathematically competent reader, who immediately spotted this blatant flaw in Galileo's book. Here's another interesting point that Descartes makes. Galileo seems to have written his theory only to explain the force of the cannon shots fired at different elevations. There's a quote from Descartes. That is to say, Galileo made no theoretical use of his theory of projectile motion whatsoever. For example, uh, no connection to the motion of the planets, the moons, comets, uh, nothing like that. So that's a huge missed opportunity, obviously, as we know today. Instead, Galileo erroneously claimed that his theory would be practically useful for people who are firing cannon, which is quite naive, as Descartes pointed out. Here's a quote on this by the historian A. Rupert Hall. In many passages, Galileo remarks that the theory of projectiles is of great importance to gunners. He made little or no distinction between his theory and useful ballistics. He believed, though without experiment, that he had discovered methods sufficiently accurate within the limitations of military weapons to be capable of direct application to the handling of artillery. This is the quote. So this belief, uh, however, by Galileo, was completely wrong. A contemporary put the matter to experimental test, and he reported as follows, I quote, I was astonished that such a well-founded theory responded so poorly in practice. If the authority of Galileo, to which I must be partial, did not support me, I should not fail to have some doubts about the motion of projectiles and whether it is parabolical or not. That's a quote from a follower of Galileo's writing shortly after his work was uh, published. Very striking. Galileo foolishly thought that his theory would work without testing it. That's evident, for example, from his extensive tables that he printed as an appendix in his uh, big book. Uh, ballistic range tables are based on his theory. These long tables, they make no sense at all other than as a practical guide for firing cannons. So, clearly, Galileo thought his theory was practically viable, which it, in fact, is absolutely not. Let's consider a more theoretical issue, which is related to inertia, the relativity of motion. When teaching basic astronomy at Padua, Galileo explained to his students that Copernicus was undoubtedly wrong about the Earth's motion. The Earth doesn't move, Galileo explained, because if the Earth moved... A rock drop from a tower would strike the ground not at his foot, but some distance away, since the Earth would have moved during the fall. In support of this claim, Galileo observed that a rock let go from the top of a mast of a moving ship hits the deck in the stern. This had indeed been reported as an experimental fact by people who had actually carried it out. Of course, all of that is completely backwards, and is the opposite 
of Galileo's later views that he's famous for. And to be sure, these early lectures, they do not necessarily say anything about Galileo's personal beliefs. In all likelihood, he simply taught the party line because it was the easiest way to pay the bills. But at least the episode does show that uh, the simplistic narrative that the, the experimental method forced the transition from ancient to modern physics is certainly wrong. On the contrary, experimental evidence was among the standard arguments for the conservative view uh, well before Galileo got into the game. In his later works, Galileo, of course, affirms the opposite of what he said in those lectures, namely that the rock will fall the same way relative to the ship, regardless of whether the ship is standing still or, or traveling with a constant velocity. And, in fact, he gives a very vivid and elaborate uh, description of this principle. I'll quote it in full. It's a long quote, but uh, it's quite fun. It goes as follows. Shut yourself up with some friend in the main cabin below deck of some large ship, and have with you there some flies, butterflies, and other small flying animals. Have a large bowl of water with some fish in it. Hang up a bottle that empties uh, drop by drop into a vessel beneath it. With the ship standing still, observe carefully how the little animals fly with equal speed to all sides of the cabin. The fish swim indifferently in all directions. The drops fall into the vessel beneath. In throwing something to your friend, you need to throw it no more strongly in one direction than another, the distances being equal. Jumping with your feet together, you pass equal spaces in every direction. When you observe all these things carefully, though doubtless uh, when the ship is uh, standing still, everything must happen in this way, now have the ship proceed with any speed you like, so long as the motion is uniform and not fluctuating uh, this way or that. You will discover not the least change in all of the effects named, nor could you tell from any one of them whether the ship was moving or standing still. In jumping, you will pass on the floor the same spaces as before, uh, nor will you make larger jumps towards the stern than towards the prow, even though the ship is moving quite rapidly, despite the fact that during the time you're in the air, uh, the floor under you will be going in a direction opposite to your jump, for example. In throwing something to your companion, you will need no more force to get it to him, whether he is in the direction of the bow or the stern, with yourself situated opposite. The droplets will fall as before into the vessel beneath it without dropping towards the stern, although while the drops are in the air, the ship uh, runs many spans. The fish in the water will swim toward the front of their bowl with no more effort than toward the back, and will go with equal ease to bait placed anywhere around the edges of the bowl. Finally, the butterflies and flies will continue their flights indifferently toward every side, nor will it ever happen that they are concentrated toward the stern, as if tired out from keeping up with the course of the ship, from which they will be separated by long intervals by keeping themselves in the air. And if smoke is made by burning some incense, it will be seen going up in the side of a little cloud, remaining still and moving no more towards one side than the other. Okay, so that's the end of that famous passage. Galileo's process as embellished with fineries as this little curiosity cabinet of a laboratory that he uh, envisions. But uh, is it any good of an argument? Insofar as it is, the credit is perhaps due to Copernicus himself, who had already made much the same point a hundred years before. Here are Copernicus's words. When a ship floats over a tranquil sea, all the things outside seem to the voyagers to be moving in a movement which is an image of their own, and they think they themselves and all the things that with them are at rest. So it can easily happen in the case of the movement of the earth, that the whole world should be believed to be moving in a circle. And what should we say about the clouds and other things floating in the air, or falling or rising? 
except that uh, not only the Earth is moved in this way with the circular motion, but also no small part of the air is moved along with it. So that's basically Galileo's so-called Galileo's relativity argument that the Copernicus has presented for us here. Uh, like so much else that Galileo says, it is old news. The primary uh, contribution of his version is a literary ornamentation. He's adding some butterflies and whatnot while uh, saying nothing new in substance beyond what Copernicus had already said. Perhaps one could argue that uh, Galileo goes beyond Copernicus' passage by asserting more definitively that no mechanical experiment of any kind could prove that the ship is moving. Today, the so-called Galilean principle of relativity says that uh, the phenomena in the cabin cannot be used to distinguish between the ship being at rest or moving with a constant velocity in a straight line. Uh, this is uh, the correct insight to draw from this experiment. Actually, Galileo he had another scenario in mind. He sees the ship as traveling along a great circle uh, around the globe, the globe of the Earth. And that's the kind of motion he believes cannot be distinguished from rest which is in keeping with his misconceived idea of horizontal inertia rather than linear inertia. That's the actual Galilean principle of relativity. No, today we speak of Galilean relativity. In the, for example, Einstein uh, uses the name of Galilean relativity for the what is actually Newtonian relativity. The actually Galilean principle of relativity then is this false one that has to do with... Uh, horizontal inertia rather than rectilinear motion. And in fact, it's even worse than that. Galileo's purpose in introducing this argument about the ship is to argue erroneously that the rotation of the Earth cannot be detected by physical experiments, which in fact it can. The Foucault pendulum is a famous device that uh, can indeed detect the motion of the Earth by uh, a physical experiment. So the attribution of the principle of uh, relativity of motion to Galileo in modern textbooks is doubly mistaken. First of all, relativity of motion and the idea of an inertial frame had been noted long before, and it was invoked by Copernicus himself to much the same end as Galileo. And moreover, Galileo's principle is wrong in itself because it's about motion in a great circle and not motion in a straight line. And furthermore, his purpose in introducing this principle is to draw another false conclusion from it, namely that the Earth motion is undetectable. So there are errors at every turn, as usual, uh, with uh, Galileo, and uh, there's plenty more where that came from. But that's for another day. Thank you.